If uh, you don't know many, their history, uh, they were baptized here. Tom and Carol were baptized right back there. Their babies were dedicated here, um, right on this stage. There's a lot of history, a lot of friendships. Um, stretches back a long ways. And uh, so continues this theme of God taking and sending. And uh, I've told them no more this year. Um, I haven't heard back from him on that yet. <laughs> so, I invite you to turn to Joshua, at chapter 2. Uh, after last week, what, a, what an amazing Sunday, um, what God did, and I, my phone has never blown up like it did uh, Sunday afternoon and Monday and Tuesday, just shift stories of God uh, moving and uh, healing and just doing what God does. And uh, coming into this Sunday, I'm like, oh, how are we going to do? You know, you want that same thing, and that's just not what God's about. He's about just doing what we need and meeting us where we are. And, and so this Sunday, I believe, is what God has us here for, and and we'll trust that um, as we move through it, it's exactly what he wants to say and do. Um, recently, I invite you, if you're not in Joshua 2, to turn there. But uh, a couple weeks ago, my family and I, we like to watch uh, Funniest Home Videos on the Internet. You can just go through it without commercials, and it's fun, and, and you just get to, get to laugh some. And I saw one uh, a couple weeks ago where this baby had... Um, this baby was crying and, and was hugging this refrigerator, and you're, you're like, what is going on? And then you realize that this baby has climbed the, the cereal bowl, which is about this high. It's this mountain to this little tiny toddler, right? And he's terrified because he can't get down. So he's hugging and he's standing on this little bowl crying and his parents are laughing and the camera's shaking. And you're like, nice compassion. And this baby cannot think, cannot get past how to get down. Like, it's never thought, just been, it can't do that. And so the mom goes over there, or I think of the dad, I can't remember which one, takes a foot and pries it off the bowl and just puts it on the floor and then takes the other leg and puts that on the, and the baby's like, then looks all the way down and is like, and then it's like, doesn't look like that, right? No more crying, disaster averted. And, but it was in tears because it was so uncertain about the next step. So not sure that there was even a floor underneath him four inches away. Recently, I was talking to somebody who wasn't a Christian, and, and their own words, their own words, um, been around church and Christianity and all these things, and, and they said, look, I'm like 90% there. And I'm like, 90? <laughs> well, what's the 10%? Oh, I got questions. I got questions. And I, I, I'm like, oh, what are your questions? So it starts to throw some of them out. I'm like, Okay, those are questions, whatever. But he said, you know, I, I, I know God's there. And I'm like, you're, you're 90% there, but you know God's there. He's like, well, yeah, I remember asking God. It's like, God, like, show me you're there. 
And I've asked him over the years, but he said, I prayed that a couple years ago, and he says, and I, I like meant it. I was like, God, you gotta show me there, because I just don't know. He says, the next day I was at work, and this person came up to me, random person just walks up to me, hands me $20, and says, God loves you, and then just walks away. And he says, and I knew that was from God. And I'm like, and what's your problem? Like, why the 10% if God has just, and it's your own words, you're saying you know God is there, he did this. He says, well, I'm just, I'm not certain. I got questions, and I'm just not sure, entirely sure, 100% sure, and it just wasn't enough. You, you never notice how God can do all kinds of things in our lives, but it never seems to be enough sometimes in certain moments and in certain actions and situations where it's not enough to act on. We need a little bit more. We need a little more insurance or assurance or certainty. And we can even hear from God, but sometimes it's just never quite enough. Today we're going to look at Joshua. The introductions are over in chapter 1. God's come, told Joshua, take the land, tell Israel there's a nation. Hey, don't be afraid. Don't be filled with fear. Yeah, I'm going to be with you. Be strong and courageous, and, and, and we're going to go take this land, and, and, and I'm going to do it for you. And so as of chapter 2, Israel is on the east side of the Jordan. So Israel's here, Jordan's here, the land is over here, Mediterranean Sea is even farther over right there. So they gotta cross the Jordan to get into the promised land. The promised land is the land that God's obviously now about to lead them into and, and to lead them to conquer. The manna had stopped falling from the sky. They, they were done wandering. They're about five miles from the nearest city, which was Jericho, this fortified city, had a reputation of being this unbreakable fortress. The river's at flood stage, so it's impossible for the nation to cross at this moment, and no way can that happen. And God, but God is saying, hey, look, be strong, courageous, don't be terrified or weak, and, and that's easy when you're on the east side of the Jordan and you hadn't gone into the land yet. The faith hasn't been tested, this new generation. It hadn't been challenged yet. And Joshua is now commander, and we see in chapter 2 his very first military decision. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from, hmm, don't know how to pronounce that. Go and look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So stop right there. Oh, and one of the things, we go through this, you can't read ahead. Pretend like you don't know this story at all, which will be hard because a lot of us do know this story, but you can't read ahead, all right? If you read ahead, it ruins the whole thing, and then you might as well just go home and not even listen, and it's all over. Cats and dogs living together, mass hysteria. So just stick with me, all right? Israel, right, Israel was at this place, which is interesting. They were at this very place 40 years ago, although it's different now. 40 years ago, Moses was the commander. He was sending out Joshua as a spy. Now, 40 years later, Joshua is in command, and now he's sending out only two spies. 40 years earlier, Moses heard from God, send out 12 spies. 40 years later, 
Joshua decides to send out two spies. Forty years earlier, the entire nation knew about the spies going. Forty years later, Joshua says it secretly, quietly. Now, I'm not going to die for this. If you want to talk about scale of certainty, zero being completely uncertain and 10 being absolute, 100% certain, I'm not going to be on a 10 on this. But as I read this, especially knowing what happened previously 40 years ago, I think this is Joshua doing this and not God. I don't think Joshua is certain. I don't think he has that assurance, that surety of how it's all going to work out. He's got questions. Why else would he send out the spies? He's just heard from God. I mean, God just told him in verse 5, chapter 1, no one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. So if God's the one fighting all the battles, why is he sending out spies? He's already went through a couple battles and he didn't do anything hardly. It was God who did everything. Sending the spies was Joshua's idea. And so these spies go out In verse 1, they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Okay, stop right there. Two guys, two God followers who had the law, knew the law, handpicked by Joshua, go and stay with a prostitute. It says they stayed there. And, and you've got to think, what in the world did they tell, if they're not married, what do they tell their moms? And if they're married, what do they tell their wives? It's a cover story? I mean, it, what do they tell Joshua, who is now the leader of, of this nation? Yeah, we, a holy nation, set apart nation, we're in a prostitute's house for a number of days. And there is all kinds of inference here. There's all kinds of suspicion here. None of it's certain, but none of it's good, right? There's nothing good. That's like that whole question, what happens past 10 o'clock at night? Nothing good. It's the same thing. What, whatever happens in a prostitute, nothing good. And that's the, the inference you get here. This isn't a good Thing. We're, we're one verse into the story and it's going bad. And as you go through, it's interesting. You start in chapter two here and you go through this whole chapter. There's only one person who hasn't been introduced in chapter one. God was introduced in chapter one. Joshua was in in chapter one. There's only one person introduced in chapter two. Rahab. Everybody else is nameless, including the spies who are probably glad. <laughs> Nobody else gets a name. It's as if God is saying, I want everybody to pay attention to her. Her. She's the one I want everybody to look at. And this is how it starts. The conquest of the land starts with a prostitute, a social outcast, the enemy being the main character who ends up being the heroine of the story. 
If you were God and you were starting a story of how you were going to take over the land, would you start it this way? Or would you start it with somebody who's perfect? It's an interesting way to start. So when it ends up happening, these guys, uh, this plan starts to go south. It's, it's not good. We're not out of verse 1. It's tanking. It only gets worse in verse 2. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho stayed, or sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Now, the spies had been followed, which makes sense. The king's no idiot. He's got this massive nation five miles away. He knows what they're there for. Of course, he's watching them. And of course, his whole city is on alert and his people are on alert. They're watching too. And somebody sees him come in and knows where they came from. They immediately go to the king and the king immediately goes to Rahab. And he says, give me the guys. And what the king never planned on was that one of his own would actually betray him. I mean, why would they do that? These guys are here to kill us. He's operating on this sense of trust. And they take her answer at face value because everyone would assume we're all in this together. And as it is, it's this huge risk because she's a prostitute who is already marginalized in society and if anything would have happened to her, no one really would have complained that much. She hangs on by a thread, and yet she still does it, commits treason, and hides him. Now, at this point, as you, as you look at this, we, we don't know, or we know who the spies are, and we know what they're doing, but we don't really know Rahab, and we don't know what she's up to and what she's thinking. And, and she quickly, when these spies come, puts together this story and this lie. In verse 4, the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, yes, the men did come to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gates, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of Jordan, and as soon as his pursuers had gone, the gate was shut. It's interesting, as she is in this moment, she puts this lie together, and she's really in the business of lies and secrecy, if you think about it. That's her life, telling lives, covering for those who would come in, keeping secrets. That's how she lives her life, and so she's, this, she's good at it. She's a smooth operator, tells enough truth so it's believable and tells enough lies or allows them to run with assumptions that are lies. But we still don't know why she did it. In verse, as we go on, the story shifts to, night, uh, to the night and the spies are still safe at this point, but it's here that we find out what she's up to. In verse eight, the spies sat and lay down for the night and she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. 
so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for, for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is in heaven above and on earth below. Stop right there for one second. Imagine these spies who, who know they are just a shout away from being captured, probably killed. I mean, all she do is scream, and it's all over. And so they're completely under her control, at her mercy, and she comes up to them, and she tells them what Joshua just heard a couple days ago. One, God has given them the land. Two, the country's filled with dread. Three, the people are immobilized by this, by this fear. It's a panic fear. They can't even think. They've lost the ability to stand. And and crazier than that, she tells them, I know the Exodus story, which happened 40 40 years ago. They also heard, she knew about Israel and how they just conquered two kings and all their cities and territories, and that was just like three months earlier from when she was seeing him right here. So the, their hearts have melted, the courage has failed. Jericho, interestingly enough, is this famous city, fortified city, impossible to breach, and she's saying all this to these guys who are from an army that doesn't have any siege weapons, has no training, militarily speaking, nobody has a sword, and she says, we're toast. I mean, it's crazy talk. And, and, and she puts it all to this one thing. This is amazing. She says this. I know because of you, for the the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. You know, the first person, excuse me, the first person to introduce the name Yahweh in Joshua is Rahab. The first one to let the word Yahweh off her lips, which is a word they would never even say out loud, out of respect and and reverence, was Yahweh. And it was her. She said, Yahweh is God of the universe. I know that. Yahweh is your God and God above all gods. You ever have those moments in your life where you're standing next to someone who has more faith than you? You ever have those moments in your life where someone where you've been maybe longer on this journey, you've known God longer, walked with him longer, and you see someone who hardly knows him with more faith than you? I mean, how much did Rachel really understand about God? I mean, Rachel, Rahab, understand about God. Hardly anything. Hardly anything. You ever think that maybe we get so far in our Christian lives and we forget that we don't have to know everything to have faith? In fact, we don't need to know 
hardly anything. Maybe it's fear that stops us. Maybe worry that stops us. What would stop you? What may be in your way? I was uh, reading a story, Amazing Faith, uh, stories of uh, Christians and defining moments. And I've read a, a, one story here, I think, about a guy named George Werber, but I, I came across another one. Um, this guy's from Scotland, um, and he felt, he failed, he flunked out of 10th grade. And um, it, it was just him and his mom, I, I don't know where his dad, why his dad wasn't in the picture, um, but it was just story talked about him and his mom, and after 10th grade, he kind of stumbled along, and um, when he was 17, about a year, year and a half later, he heard, he just felt this call from God. It was so clear to him that you are, gonna, you are going to be used by me to reach your country, Scotland. I'm gonna use you in amazing ways. And this guy's like, he told his mom and his mom laughed at him. She's like, you couldn't even finish 10th grade. And so he never did anything about it as the years went on and the years went on. Never did anything about it found a girl, got married, told her about it. She liked the idea of it, but it just never did anything. So he's eight years later, he's 20 years old, and he's thinking about applying to Moody Bible Institute. And his mom laughs at him again. And there's always this voice that says, you can't do it. You didn't even graduate. You didn't even pass 10th grade. How are they gonna let you in at Moody? And now you're 25 years old, and he's, he's thinking, if I don't do this now, I'll never do it. And he had all these reasons and all these things, even though he knew he had heard from God. And he was wrestling with it. And he ends up marrying this gal, and they're married, and it's actually now they're 25 years old, and, and he's wrestling with this. He tells his father-in-law this, and his father-in-law tells him a story he'd never heard. And he says, you need to know something he says, when I was your age, when I was in high school, I knew God had called me to the mission field. But the problem is I was also dating this girl I really loved, and she wasn't called, and she made it very clear that she wasn't called. And he says, I knew, I knew what God had said to me. It was so clear. But I married her, and I never went. And to this day, I know that that was a moment where I chose not to trust by faith in God. And he says, don't do what I did. And he's had a great marriage. It wasn't about that. It was about that step of faith. It's amazing when you see someone who has so little and it in terms of certainty and in terms of surety and yet takes such incredible steps of faith. You ever dream about being one of those Christians that is known for faith? You ever have those dreams and those pictures in your mind of of just, wow, I, I live this life of tremendous faith. Like, when people talk about me, like, man, they just, they always believed God could do it. 
when you talked to them, they just oozed faith. And, and when you were around them, you just felt like, yeah, why not? We should be able to. Let's do it. It's amazing when you look at what she says. She does the math with very little information, only from secondhand people, and she concludes, the Lord your God is heaven above and on the earth below. And, and because of that, she says this, verse 12, now then please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to him, that you will save us from death. You know, it's, it's staggering, really, when you look at this. This wasn't a split decision, split moment, you know, decision. This was like something she had thought about. She was actually ready for this moment. In fact, she was looking for this moment because of what she knew and what she believed. She was so certain about it that when the opportunity came, no question, would you save me? Save my family. I'll protect you. And in that moment, she chose to walk away from her city, her way of life, as, as destructive as her way of life is. I mean, how many marriages, how many relationships, how many heart destroyed and yet, even in that kind of a life, you can find security because it's all you know, and she walks away from that. She walks away from everything, and she chooses this faith. Stories about a majestic God, a God who delivers, a God more powerful than any God she'd ever known. And because of what she knows about Yahweh, she's heard enough, she's seen enough, she acts. She just simply acts on her faith. There's a writer who said, faith is knowing there is an ocean when you have seen only the brook. And, and what Rahab does here in this moment, in terms of negotiation, it, it's, a, it's a strong arm tactic. Uh, the spies have no power. They don't. They got nothing. And she says, would you do this for us? And the answer is going to be, sure. Right? The problem is, because of how this has all gone down, the spies are now in a position where they have to violate the command of God. The, the, the commandment God gave was everybody dies. And now they're in a position where they have to negotiate for their lives and they say, no, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll save you. And they say, our lives for your lives in verse 14. The men assured you, if you don't tell what we're doing, we'll treat you, with kind, we'll treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. And so she says, deal. And so they have little conditions on it. There, there's not much there. And, and, and so she lets them down the wall. It's interesting. And she apparently goes down with them. So they're let down. And then they have another conversation while they're on the ground out, uh, outside her house because she was on the, the side there of the wall. And, and she says this. She lets them down and says, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Then the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us. Well, now they're getting a little backbone <laughs> all of a sudden because, hey, well, wait a minute. We're, 
we're on equal playing ground now that we're free. Unless we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into your house. If anyone goes outside of your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We won't be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we're doing, we will be released from the oath you made us to swear. So first thing she does is they get down, of course, the Jordan River's to the west, right? And Jericho's here, and, and she just sent the pursuers towards the Jordan River, and she says, hey, guys, go this way. You hang out in the hills to the, to the east. Hang out here. Don't go. Did I get my directions wrong? I think I did. Pursuers go that way. They go this way into the hills. The exact opposite. Stay there three days. When they come back, then you can leave. Go back to your people. And then they say, hey, wait a minute, we got some more conditions here. First thing being, look, you got to have everybody in your house because there's no way. There's no way we're going to know who's who. You got to have everybody in your house. And then they come back to this whole idea of secrecy. And, and they put these conditions on, which aren't difficult conditions. And, and then they go on their way. In verse 22, they left, they went into the hills, stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding anything. Then the two men started back and went down out of the hills, forded the river, came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told them everything that had happened to him. And they said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. You know, it's interesting. At the end of this short story here as we meet Rahab, it's Rahab's faith her certainty in God, her surety of the victory because of who God is that leads Israel in this moment, not Joshua. Rahab acts on her faith and rather than seeking more certainty and postponing the decision to have faith and act on it, she still acted on what she had. The book of James says faith without works, is dead. Christian who does not act on faith, perhaps their faith is not nearly as alive, as alive as what we might think. I'm just saying what James said. And James writing to Christians. I'm not here to talk about salvation, if you can lose your salvation or keep your I'm just saying what James says to Christians, faith without debt, or faith without works is dead. And why do I quote that? Because in that same breath, God empowers James to write about Rahab's faith. He's He's talking about Abraham, the father of faith, right? And how Abraham's faith was amazing. Paul writes about how Abraham's faith was amazing. And, and James, in the same breath, talking about Abraham's faith, says Rahab's faith was just like Abraham's. Rahab, who's not part of the people of God, who, who doesn't count, right? Who, who's just messed up. How can she have faith like Abraham? Listen to this. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? She had faith that worked, even though she didn't have it all filled in and understood everything 
even though she didn't have certainty about much. She didn't even have a guarantee when she hid them. And yet she did it by faith in God, Yahweh. If you look at Hebrews 11, this famous hall of fame of faith is what it is. It's a famous chapter, if you're unfamiliar with it. You have all these famous God followers, Abraham, Isaac, Joseph, Moses, and then you get down, and all of a sudden, chronologically, this, this author's going right through it, and you get to Joshua, and by faith, Joshua's not there. Joshua isn't mentioned in Hebrews 11. Huh. He got a whole book after him. Not bad. But in terms of famous faith, it's Rahab. Rahab, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. So she took the scarlet cord and she hung it out her window. By faith. The whole thing was by faith. You know, I think sometimes we read stories of, of incredible faith events and decisions and things that God does and we go wow those people are just so like way super spiritual and just so amazing and and I think God puts this story right at the beginning of this whole (laughs) book about how he works And, and it's as if to punctuate this idea that we really don't do much he does it all And just to prove the point that it's not about being super spiritual, he brings us someone like Rahab and says, it's just faith. It's faith in me. That's all it is. Faith when you don't even have all of the facts, when you're you're not feeling certain and you're not feeling sure. Faith is the thing that says, I know God and I'm sure about him and I'm certain about him, and he's got the rest. That's famous faith. Any of us here delaying, postponing that which we know God's calling us to do? Any of us here yearning for famous faith? We know what needs to be done, but kicking our faith into action is a problem because we got all these other reasons. You know, it's interesting, that story, this guy ends up applying to Moody, and he got accepted. He got accepted without a high school diploma, which never happens. It just doesn't happen. He got a reference letter from his pastor. His pastor, I don't know what he said in that letter, but they accepted him. He went on and graduated from there, but while he was at school, his mom never was for it. His mom never turned the corner on it. His mom ended up dying while he was in Moody. And he didn't find out until three days after her death. This is a number of years ago. Things didn't get communicated as quickly back then. 
they found out actually on the day that she was having her funeral at the end of it. He went on to graduate from Moody, he and his wife, and went on to serve in Scotland. And the ministry this guy had is amazing. The thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people that God used this guy to touch. A guy who didn't even graduate, who failed 10th grade. Don't tell me you have to be super spiritual. You have to be born in the right family. You have to grow up in church. You don't need any of it. You just need faith. That's all you need. Anybody here is qualified for it. Anyone. I don't care what you've come out of. This woman's a prostitute. And she's in the Hall of Fame. If some of you are saying, ah, I'm not whatever, or I've done whatever, God's like, la, 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 right? He he cares about sin. He cares about holiness. I get that. That just, just doesn't matter to him where we're coming from and what we've done. You know, it was interesting. You talked with Tom and uh, Carol about this journey that God called them on. Um, For a year, a year and a half, they've known. And they kept praying, God, open up a door for us to stay. Open up a door for us to stay. Open up a door for us to stay. And no door would open. And no door would open. And no door opened. So they just said, it's just coming to this realization, God's not letting us stay. Otherwise, God would open a door. So by faith, they went and looked for houses. By faith, they started to shop. By faith, they're moving there. And in the middle of it, God did some amazing things of confirming it. But only after they went there. And only after they said, your will, we'll trust. Even though we have all kinds of gaps. That's how practical this faith can be. I think what God would have us be as a church and of people is people that would have amazing faith, this kind of faith, where we don't have to demand everything, the final 10%, because most of the time you'll never have it. That's not faith at that point. Faith is assurance of what we hope for, but have not seen. pray.